John 1. It could also be entitled, I told you so. So it's John 1, first one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only to, as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. We light this second Advent candle to remind us of God's gift of the Bible. The Bible points to Jesus, the light of the world. The Apostle Peter writes, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Wellesley's going to be speaking to us later, so shall we just pray, take this opportunity to pray for him now. We just pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will come upon Wellesley today, that you will just soak through him in every way, so that as he speaks to us, your word will come to us afresh, in new ways. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you will help us to open our hearts and our minds and our souls to what you have to say to us. It might be through the words that Wellesley has, or it might be something that you're saying to us as he speaks. But we just ask, Lord, that you will speak to us in a way that we have not known before, and that it might be good. In the name of Jesus, amen. Shall we just give thanks for these gifts and the gifts that many that give in different ways um, to the life of this church? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning that you are a generous God who's given us so much. You bless us abundantly and we thank you for the great joy and privilege we have of giving something back to you in praise. Father, we thank you for this money and all the money that's given to the work of the life of this church. And we do pray particularly this Christmas season that you would help us to reach out to a broken and lost community who don't know you. We pray that we'd use this money wisely so that more people can hear the name of Jesus, that they can have life, eternal life in your name. Father, please this Christmas give us a great joy in you. Please this Christmas would you help those of us who are speaking at different carol services and other Christmas events to speak clearly. And help each of us, Father, as we knock on doors, as we spend time with family and friends, to speak of you with great joy, because you are our Saviour and our Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you and uh, we thank you for all that you've given us in Christ. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. Morning all. Um, Just to let you know where we're now heading in the uh, morning services in the lead up to Christmas, we've just finished our series 
in Ephesians, we're now starting a two-part mini-series in John chapter 1 as we think about the significant arrival of God in the person of his son that first Christmas 2,000 years ago. So we're going to be beginning in the reading that Roger's read out in John 1, uh, verse 1 to 9 this morning. But before we turn there, I want you to actually jump to the end of John's gospel, to John 20, verse 30 and 31. Because here John gives us his reason for writing. He tells us why he was recorded, all that he has recorded for us, his readers, including what we're going to look at in John 1, verse 1 to 9. So this is what he says, should come up on the screen as well. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, i.e. Jesus did loads and it's not all written here. Yet these things are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John writes what he does, not only that we would understand who Jesus is, this isn't simply theoretical, but that we would believe in him. That we would trust Jesus with our life and with our death, and therefore receive life in his name. A life that begins now, but a life that stretches into eternity. Understand, believe, and live. And so as we jump back to John 1, verse 1 to 9, I'd love us to have that end in mind. We're reading what we're reading this morning so that we would understand, so that our our minds would be enlarged by a clearer view of Christ. Not simply so we store up understanding, but that we would believe him, trust him, and experience the life that he has got on offer for his people. So why don't I pray for us with John 1, 1 to 9 open, that that would be a reality for us this morning. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thanks that you've revealed yourself to the people of this world. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and for all that we will learn about him this morning. Father, I pray that by your spirit you would enlarge our view of Christ. If our view of him is too small, Lord, would you help us to see the real Jesus this morning? And would you cause your people not only to think about him, but to believe him, to trust him with all that we have, Lord, that we might experience that life that can only come through believing in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. So help us to listen Help us to take in, help us to absorb things from your word this morning, things that will affect the way that we love and serve you in this world. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. John Stott, um, some of you may be familiar with John Stott, a fairly prominent preacher of the 20th century. Just before John Stott died in 2011, he was asked to give his assessment of the state of the church, the global church, Christians everywhere. And he used these three words in his answer to that question. Growth without depth. Growth without depth. Numerical growth. 
Maybe we don't see it in the UK, but take the global picture of the church. There is vast numerical growth in Christians worldwide. The church in China is now outstripping the number of Christians in the whole of Western Europe. There is vast numerical growth. But as John Stott looks at the state of the Christian church, he says, you know what, numerical growth, great. But here's my assessment. It is growth without real depth. Without a real depth of understanding of who Christ is, without a real depth of character and of godliness and of Christ-likeness, without a move to maturity, it is growth without depth. And I think there is something of that lack of depth, certainly in the church in the UK as well. The vision of Long Crendon Baptist Church is this, to see lives changed by Christ. Yeah? It's the vision. To see lives changed by Christ. And that means our lives here as we grow to maturity. As God changes us. As we become more mature in Christ. More like Christ. And it means the lives of people out there in the community. The lives of the people outside these four walls. That they would come face to face with the real Jesus. They would see the authentic Christ of the scriptures. They would come to know him and trust him and grow up to be like him. We want to see a church moving towards maturity. Of course we want to see numerical growth, right? We want to see this church flooded with people, but not just numerical. We want to see a church of depth, of real depth, of godliness and Christ-likeness. And you know what? That will only happen... When we come face to face with the real, authentic Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of John 1, verse 1 to 9. Not a weak, watered down, worldly, small view of a weak Jesus who helplessly carried his cross and he could do nothing about it. And unfortunately died age 33. But the Jesus that John introduces to us in John 1, verse 1 to 9. A Jesus that expands our thinking and stretches our minds. A Jesus that captures our hearts and moves our affections and our emotions. The real Jesus of John 1 verse 1 to 9. And of course the Bible speaks richly of Christ. But there probably is no better passage in the whole of the Bible than John 1 1 to 9 to come face to face with the real Jesus. And so as we think about these few verses this morning, be excited. Be excited as we explore the wonder of the real Jesus who entered this world 2,000 years ago. But be aware as well that these are pretty weighty words. John 1, the first couple of verses, are fairly heavy words and we will need to engage our minds. We will need to think. It will push us. But hopefully in a very healthy way this morning. So John 1, verse 1 and 2. Here is John's introduction to the person of Jesus Christ. Look what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here's my question that I want to begin with this morning. Why does John, as he introduces Jesus to his readers, to me and you, why does he use that little phrase, the word, 
You see it there three times in those two verses. You see it down again in verse 14, when the word became flesh. Why that particular phrase? Why the word? No other gospel writer uses it. Why does he not just begin by saying, in the beginning was Jesus? bit simpler, right? In the beginning was the Messiah. In the beginning was the Son of God. But he doesn't. He says, in the beginning was the word. Why does, G, why does John use that particular phrase? You see, I think to understand that question, to get an answer to that question, we need to recognize the significance of the word. The word of God throughout the Bible. Because from the very beginning when God created this world by speaking, he is a God who's been in the business of revealing himself, of speaking to his people. The word is where God reveals himself, right? If I want to know what God is like, where do I go? I go to his word because God has already told us. He's revealed to us what he is like in his word. Now come with me to Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 3. It's on the screen behind you. We are going to make a couple of cross references this morning. But this one I think is hugely significant for us. This is what the author to the Hebrews says. In the past... God spoke, yeah? God is a God who speaks. In the past, God spoke. How did he speak to our ancestors, to the prophets? At many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God reveals himself by speaking. And in the past, what does it say? He spoke at various times in various ways. God spoke to his people through dreams and visions. He spoke through a burning bush to Moses. He spoke to the people rescued from Egypt through a cloud condensed to the top of Mount Sinai. He spoke through a donkey to Balaam. He spoke through the handwriting on the wall to the king of Babylon. He spoke through his prophets in a whole range of different ways, but he saved the best to last, verse 2. But in these last days, he has, past tense, fully and finally spoken through Christ. The incarnate word, the physical word, the physical expression of all that God is. He has revealed himself entirely and fully and completely in the person of Christ. That's why John uses the word, word. Because it is the supreme revelation of all that God is. See Jesus, see God. Or in the language of verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's why in John chapter 14, I don't know whether you remember Jesus' discussion with Philip, one of the disciples, and Philip's just saying, Jesus, show me the Father. Yeah? And Jesus is ripping his hair out by this stage, saying, Philip, have you not understood? If you have seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. You have seen All that God is in the person of Christ. The word become flesh. The physical expression of all that God is. God in all his fullness, all his entirety. I don't know whether anyone's ever asked you 
this question. I've had it a number of times in a conversation with people about faith. And it comes to the point where they say, yeah, do you know what? At the end of the day, if there is a God, we'll never really know, though, will we, what he's like? Because if there is a God, he's up there, you're down here. It's the point of John. The God who was up there came down here in the person of Jesus to show us exactly what God is like. See Jesus, see God. The Word become flesh. And if that's not begun to stretch our imagination a little bit this morning, what comes next really will. Because there's three things I want to pick up about Jesus, the word become flesh, which John brings to our attention in these few verses. And the first one is this, Jesus is eternally God. He has always been. John 1 verse 1, look at it again. In the beginning was the word. Hopefully you read that and somewhere in your head you go in, Do you know what? I've heard something like that before. In the beginning, in the... Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 1. Before anything was created, before any physical matter existed, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1, verse 1. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus. He has always been yes there was a moment in time when he became flesh 2000 years ago but the eternal word has always existed jesus is the alpha and the omega in the language of revelation the beginning and the end he has always been he will always be nothing comes before him nothing will come after him he is eternally god yes we celebrate the arrival of jesus yeah Every Christmas. That's what we're celebrating. The Word becoming flesh. What a wonderful thing to celebrate. But do you know what we don't celebrate? We don't celebrate the beginning of Jesus. Because he had no beginning. He is eternally God. We just celebrate that magnificent moment when the eternal God would humble himself to such an extent to become a human being. Not only to show us what God is like, but to go to the cross to bring us back to God that we would know life and life in all its fullness. Jesus is eternally God. Get your heads around that. Eternally God. But secondly, Jesus is equally God. He isn't only eternally God, he is equally God. God. Look down again at verse 1. I know we're moving slowly. In the beginning was the Word. Here's probably the trickiest bit of these few verses. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word Jesus was with God on an equal footing, literally face to face with God the Father. You've got God the Father and you've got God the Son together. They're they're distinct. You've got the Father and you've got the Son. But they're on an equal footing together. Jesus is equally God. He was with God and he was God. Jesus actually is God. It is a glimpse of the Trinity in action, yeah? One God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. All equally God in three distinct persons. It's mind-boggling at times. 
But it's wonderful to see the relational capacity of God before all eternity. God wasn't lonely before the world was made because he was Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We don't get introduced properly to the Spirit until John 14 to 16. But here we catch a glimpse of God the Father and God the Son together before all eternity in a perfect relationship. And you know what? This isn't new. For people who say, oh, the Trinity and all that, that's a, the, the Old Testament's all about one God, and then all of a sudden there's three people in the, three people in the New Testament. There's nothing new about this. Go back to Genesis 1, when God makes the world. Do you remember what he says when he makes humankind on day six? Should come up on the screen. You can read it, yeah? Let us make man in our image not let me not let me make man in my image let us make man in our image there is a glimpse of the wonderful trinitarian god right back in genesis god the father god the son god the holy spirit as the spirit hovered over the waters the trinitarian god made this world created this world and when we come to the new testament we see god in action in trinity not just in creation but in redemption, God the Father sends the Son to this world who becomes flesh in order that he might die on a cross and the Spirit comes to awaken people to new life, to help them see Jesus, that we would see exactly what God is like. Jesus is the real deal. He is equally God. As Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 9, for in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Not in part. It's not just part of God that we see in Jesus. We see all of God. Jesus is fully God. It has been the heart of what Christians believe throughout the centuries, hasn't it? That we worship Jesus as God. It is what John wants to bring his readers to see and to say. It's the climax of John's gospel. Turn with me to John chapter 20 again. Just before the little bit we read out at the beginning, from verse 26, Jesus died on a cross, he's risen again, and he's appeared to the majority of his disciples. But Thomas wasn't there. <laughs> and so Thomas is doubting whether Jesus really has risen. And we pick the story up in verse 26, look. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas this time was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then the wonderful confession of faith, the climax almost of John's gospel, where Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and what? My God. My Lord and my God. And John writes his gospel. It's what comes next. Not just that Thomas might say that. Not just that the early band of disciples might say, Jesus, my Lord and my God, you really are. But that we today as we encounter Christ in his word, that we too may say, Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and my God. Understand, believe, and really live. That's why John writes his gospel.
I wonder whether you can say that this morning as you're sat there. Can you echo the words of Thomas? My Lord and my God. Jesus is eternally God. He has always been. He is equally God. No less than the Father. All that God is we see in the Son. And thirdly, and this shouldn't come as much of a surprise this morning, in light of those first two points, Jesus is the creator God. Have a look at verse 3. Through him, this is the word who becomes flesh, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. All things in this world exist because Jesus made them. Ever walked out on a lovely crisp winter night? Little light pollution, no clouds. Apparently, we're told you can see between three and four thousand stars with the naked eye. But that's just a glimpse of what is out there. If you sat there on the beach, scoop up a sandful of hand and you know you let it drain through your fingers. It'd take you weeks to count one handful of sand. There are more stars in this universe than there are grains of sand on every single beach in this world. It's fast. It's magnificent. It's huge. It's glorious. And Jesus made it all. From the vastness of space, the grandeur of space, to the intricacy of new life. Hands due in two and a half weeks, Christmas Day. God willing, in the next few weeks, I'll have a little baby, seven or eight pound baby, that I'll be able to hold like that in my hand. A little newborn baby has 35,000 miles of blood vessels in its body to transport its lifeblood around its system. That's enough to stretch three times around the globe. From the grandeur of space to the intricacy and complexity of new life, Jesus made it. John 1 verse 3. How's your view of Jesus? Too small this morning? Is your view of Christ too small because he made it? Whether you look at this world through a telescope or through a microscope, it screams out that the Lord Jesus is magnificent and glorious above all things. We've been singing about it already, right, this morning. You're the word of God the Father, John 1 verse 1. Since before the world began, eternally God. Every star, every planet fashioned by your hand, creator God. And then the next verse, you left the gaze of angels, came to seek and save the lost, me, you, and exchanged the joy and the wonder and the glory of heaven for the anguish of a cross. The word became flesh. The eternal, equal, magnificent, powerful creator humbled himself to become flesh that Christmas in order that he could go to the cross to die for you. I wonder what your view of Jesus is like this morning and whether we need our minds stretched by God's grace and our hearts captured a little bit more 
to what we celebrate in these next few weeks. That's the first part this morning, and that's the heaviest part. It's the, the doctrine. It's the, it's the heavy stuff in the first few verses. But as we go on in verse 4 and 5, John now makes it clear why Jesus would do this. Why would the eternal God become flesh? Look what he says in verse 4 and 5. In him, that's in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus comes as the light to shed life across this dark, broken, and dying world. See, darkness in the Bible represents two things. It represents badness and blindness. It represents a world that has gone bad, that has rejected its maker and that has wandered off its own way and done what it wants. And it represents a world that is now blind. It's in the dark. Can't see what life is all about. It's a world scrabbling around, stumbling around, trying to make sense of life, find meaning or purpose or some sort of hope or fulfillment, and it never will without Christ until the light of the world comes and shines into people's hearts to help them see what life is really all about. You know that moment when the curtains part and the Light gleams in and the darkness is dispelled. That's what happens when Jesus comes into this world. And it's like life. Life dispels the darkness and the brokenness and the pain as Christ comes in. When I was uh, 15, I went to stay at my mate Hoppy's house uh, for the first time. I stopped over there overnight. And he's got a little bedroom with bunk beds. And uh, I remember waking up about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning And you know when you're like in somebody else's house, you don't want to cause any offence. You want to be really quiet as you make your way down, three o'clock in the morning. So I climbed down my little ladder, made my way out onto the landing. I'm I'm trying to picture where everything is, where the toilet is and everything like that. And you you walk across the landing, handle rail, lovely, kick a few shoes, got it in your head, bathroom, open the door, light on, Glenis and John Hopkins, sat bolt upright in bed. I walked into Hopper's mum and dad's bedroom and turned the light on. I'd only, I'd only met them about four hours earlier. It's three o'clock in the morning, and they're there like that. And it's a horrible moment, but this is what light does, right? You're just exposed. Everything becomes clear until that moment. I'm stumbling around trying to find light comes on. Everything becomes clear. Until God comes into this world as the light of the world and shines and helps people see. People are in the dark, but when Christ comes, he makes it all clear for you. And you can see life as it's meant to be. Not even at the cross, in that moment of greatest darkness, was the light of the world extinguished. Because it was at the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ hung there and he died and to everyone it looked like this was failure it's all over Jesus is dying but it was in fact the greatest triumph because it's at the cross that the life of Christ can go to all 
as he hangs there with our sin, our penalty paid, you believe and you receive life. It is through the death of Christ at Calvary when the light of the world flickered for that moment that life sheds forth across this land. And it's why in John 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Question remains, will you follow? Do you believe? It's John's point again, every single time. What about you? Do you believe Jesus is the light of the world? God become flesh to die on a cross. Will you follow Jesus through death to life beyond the grave? And it was John the Baptist's job in verse 6 to 9 to point people to that light, right? Word become flesh, light coming into a dark world, and then we're introduced to John the Baptist. A different John to the author, a John who was born just a couple of months before Jesus at that particular moment in history, and he was given that specific role of pointing people to Jesus. Look what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Why did he come? He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, Jesus. So that through him, here it is again, all might believe. He himself was not the light. John was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, to the fact that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into this world. John the Baptist's job was to just do that and point people to Jesus. Everyone that came, everyone that heard John the Baptist going, wakey, wakey world, here he is, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world, the light of the world, here he is, I'm not the light of the world, says John, don't get carried away with me, look to Jesus, because only in Christ can life be found. And do you know what? Our role today, if you're a believer... Yes, that was a specific role for John at that specific time, but we all bear the same responsibility this morning, tomorrow, next week, and next year to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus, little lights shining in this dark world, pointing people to the great light that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a, uh, a prayer that someone prayed at a, a Sports Plus camp that I was on, and it will always stay with me because it's a prayer of a young person and it was so real and so genuine that I've never forgotten it. And this is what he said. He, he prayed that as we would leave home, that we would be signposts to Jesus. But then he got a bit carried away and, and he said, I pray that we'll be signposts embedded in triple reinforced concrete that no digger can ever dig up. Amen. <laughs> ever heard a prayer like that? It's not a prayer you might pray as an adult, but you know what he means? It's so wonderful, isn't it? That for the rest of our days, we will be planted in a place unmoved saying Jesus here he is come and watch the Lord Jesus in action this Christmas and for the rest of our lives and the challenge for us is will we do it will you be signposts to the light of this the light of the world this Christmas as by God's grace you shine as best you can for him will you take one of those tracks had three of them mentioned this morning Will you talk to someone and will you give it to them and say, this is everything. This is life. This is eternal. This isn't theoretical. Understand, 
believe and live is why John writes his gospel. Let me finish with some words from a pastor called Alan Carr. This is what he says. This world is actively trying to quench the light to prevent it from shining anywhere. But I have news for them. The light that has shone brightly from eternity past, the light that gleamed in Bethlehem's manger, the light that shone for 33 years while Jesus walked on earth, the light that flickered briefly at Calvary but blazed forth from the empty tomb will continue to light the pathway towards eternity for all those who desire to follow him. That's the authentic, real, biblical Jesus. Not watered down, not weak, but majestic and glorious and powerful and kind enough to come to this world for your sake. I've got to leave you with the words of Thomas again because I want those words ringing in your ear. In one sense, of course I care if Thomas said them because I'll see him in heaven, but I don't mind now what Thomas said. I mind what you say. Will you be able to echo the words of Thomas in your heart this morning? Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. Why don't I give you a minute to reflect on the person of Christ and then we'll sing our final song. We're going to close in a moment by singing And Can It Be? And Can It Be That I Should Gain? That I Should Gain An Interest in My Saviour's Blood. And as the chorus goes, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Let's pray, shall we, as we stand. Father, thank you that bold we can approach your throne. And thank you that boldness comes not because of any merit within us, but because we are confident in the sufficient and the complete work of Christ on our behalf at the cross. Lord Jesus, please open our eyes that we would have a bigger, clearer picture of Christ, that our hearts would be moved by what we consider this Christmas. And Lord, would we be a people of, of boldness, not just before your throne, but before the people of this world, that we would hold out the word of life, that we would shine brightly for you, and that we'd be brave in being witnesses to the one true light who came into the world that first Christmas. So give us that boldness that comes from your spirit's action. We pray in our hearts and send us out celebrating the truth of Christmas this morning. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.